Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Listen, today I actually want to begin uh, today's message by picking up where we left off last Sunday out of Joshua chapter 3. And I actually want to use this portion of Scripture as a launching pad for where we're headed. Truth be known, what I'm trying to do is I'm going to give you a handful of Scriptures and, and I'm just trying to lay down a foundation so we can have a better understanding of what it means to really live a consecrated life before the Lord. So if you can, let's, uh, let's pick up in Joshua chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Remember when we read this, Joshua is now the new leader of Israel. And, and all the people have clearly said, look, uh, Joshua, we'll follow you wherever you go and we'll do whatever you say. And so we land here in verse 1 where they're prepared to go take over, the, uh, take over the land that God promised them across the Jordan. So it says this, it says, Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and arrived at the banks of the Jordan where they camped before crossing. Now it would appear that they chose to camp there because they decided to wait because we need to hear more direction from the Lord before we move forward. And then it says this, that clearly it came because three days later the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. They said, when you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. And then Joshua told the people, this is our key verse for the moment. It says, purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. Why? For tomorrow the Lord will perform or the Lord will do great wonders among you. Can somebody say great wonders? Great Listen, I want to throw that word at you. Let that stick. But I also want to highlight the word uh, Purity here, or purify, because the word purify here in this verse actually means that God is saying, look, would you come and would you sanctify, would you dedicate, would you prepare or consecrate your lives wholly and completely before me? Now, it's important for us to understand that this act of consecration meant that the Israelites were actually choosing to once again make God their God. And in return, God was saying that His miracles, that He would use those to confirm or He would use those to serve as proof that He was indeed choosing them as His people. And so we see this incredible moment happening. It's almost, it resembles the verse that we find in Jeremiah where God is simply saying, and you will be my people and I will be your God. In other words, we're going to identify ourselves with one another. Now, I want you to watch what happens when they chose to make that decision. They chose to consecrate themselves before the Lord. Because it says this in verse 6. It says, In the morning Joshua said to the Levites, or the priests, sorry, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. Now, that sounds cute. Sounds like they all grabbed hands and they all walked across the river. But that's actually not what happened. Because if you continue to read this portion of Scripture, you find that, guess what, that this was no ordinary river crossing. Because the Bible says that actually as the, as the priests who had the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, as soon as they stepped into the river, that the river actually began to stop and it began to actually make a wall. And God held back the river. So the priests walked into the middle of the riverbed and they stood there as literally millions of people crossed the river on dry ground. Now how many of you guys would know that that might qualify as a great wonder? Yes? So if we fast forward again, we see that God 
decided to perform another great wonder among them in chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Now remember, they're crossing into the land because God promises them this, them this land, so they went to go possess it. And it says this in verse 15. It says, On the seventh day they got up at daybreak and marched around the city of Jericho seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And then it says in verse 20, When the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. How many of you guys know that that might actually qualify as another great wonder? Yes? So my point is this, is God was clearly holding up His end of the deal. Okay, but watch what happened next, because even though God gave these Israelites uh, not just one great victory, but two great victories, they actually ran into a huge roadblock after what happened at Jericho. And the reason they ran into a huge roadblock is because a man named Achan didn't obey God's instructions that he gave them before they went into war. Now, let's take a minute and let's look at what those instructions were. Remember, we're just laying a foundation here. It says this in verse 18 and 19. God said, but keep yourselves away from the devoted things. In other words, keep yourself consecrated so that you will not covet them and bring about your own destruction by taking any of them for your own personal gain. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. And the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. All right, like I said... Basically, all of the people that were about to go to war heard those instructions. They went out to war, and everybody obeyed it except one fella named Achan. He chose to uh, not obey the Lord by uh, literally, he saw a beautiful robe, and he picked it up. And he said, I'm going to keep that. He saw 200 silver coins. He said, I'm going to take that. He sold a gold, saw a gold bar, and he said, I'm going to take that. And he went and he hid him under his tent. In other words, what I'm trying to say is this one fella, he decided not to keep himself consecrated before the Lord. So much so the Bible actually goes on to say that this one man's disobedience caused the Lord's anger to burn against all the people. But Joshua wasn't aware of this. In other words, Joshua had no clue. He thought everybody just did what God said. And so a few days later he said, you know what guys, we're, we're now got this city. It's called the city of Ai in our sights. We're going to go conquer that city. And, and when they set out, there was a, loads of confidence that they said, you know, this is going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be so easy. We don't need to take the, the whole army we took last time. We'll take a smaller portion and we'll just get it done really quick. The only problem is, is they went to go fight and they didn't win. In fact, they got it handed to them. Right, They were defeated. And so, as you can expect, this defeat not only rocked the, the Israelites or the people's confidence, but it also rocked Joshua's as well. So much so that Joshua actually went and he fell on his face and he had an absolute meltdown. And he began to doubt because he was crying, saying, God, are you even with us? And then he said this, I'm convinced that, that you brought us out here because you want all these other tribes that surround us now to come destroy us. How many of you guys know that doesn't sound like a great day? Right? But, but I want you to listen today how God responded to Joshua's meltdown in chapter 7. It says, But the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. I love that. Get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Watch this. Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. 
Please notice that he didn't say one fella out of all of y'all sin. He said, no, Israel has sinned. In other words, it says they have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. So what was God's solution for their sin? He said, get up. So clearly he didn't get up the first time, right? He said, command the people to do what? To purify or to consecrate themselves again in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. I want to say that again. Hidden among you, O Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. Let me pause there for a minute. I think if every one of us in this room would get honest for a second, if you're saying, you know what, I want to really serve God with everything I got, right? Or maybe just I've been half-hearted, or maybe I'm not even sure why I'm here. At the end of the day, I think if we were all honest, we'd say, you know what, I probably have some things that are hidden down in here that I, that I don't really want anybody else to see or know, right? Like we got some things hidden in us. And I want you to realize the next statement that God makes, because I think it's a profound one, and I want you to grab a hold of this. He says this, he says, you will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things from among you. You see, so often in life, guys, we wonder why we don't walk in the joy and the peace and the promises and the victory that God has promised us. And I'm here to tell you today, a lot of times it's because we have things hidden in our hearts it's called sin. Yes? See, see, if we continue to actually read this, we would see that God reveals Achan as the guilty party along with his family. So in other words, it just wasn't Achan because he came home with all this stuff and his wife said, what do you have there, dear? Right? And he has all this stuff and he starts hiding it in the tent and his kids are watching. And, and because they actually kept that hidden, they lied about it. And guess what? God considered them to be disobedient as well. And so what happened was, is the people, and this is going to sound a little rough, a little brutal, he, he, they end up basically grabbing Achan and his family, and they drug them out of town, and they actually stoned them, and then they burned their bodies. Why did they do that? Because they were saying, God, we're consecrating the camp, right? We're getting rid of the sin. My point is this, is sometimes we think it's just good enough to expose our sin, but it's not about exposing it, it's about getting rid of it. See, sometimes in our human nature, we say this, well, if I tell my wife this, or I tell my husband this, or I tell my mom this, or I tell my dad that, if I just kind of let my sin be known, then that's good enough. But I want you to know it's not good enough. Exposing never solves the problem. You got to get rid of it. Right? And so what happens is, is when they actually got rid of the sin, right, this not only caused God's anger to subside, but it also caused his favor to return. Now, we know this is true because if you keep reading the story, they went out to fight Ai again, and this time, guess what? They took it serious, they consecrated their lives, and God gave them an easy victory, a swift victory. All right, so let's settle in here for a moment. I'm not telling you all this for no reason. There's some, there's some key things today that I want us to take away from all this. In fact, I'll say it again. I'm trying to get us to lay down a foundation of what it really means to understand what it means to live a consecrated life. And so let me start with the obvious. I'm going to give you eight things. I'm not going to preach on all of them. I'm just going to mention them. So if you want to take a picture, write them down. Whatever you do, please leave here today with these in mind. Okay? So I believe these verses show us this. Number one, that it is impossible to hide our sin from God. Sometimes in our own head, we deceive ourselves to think, well, if, if I can hide it from these people, then guess what? God will never know, right? God knows it, he knows it all. Amen? 
So these verses all show us, number two, how much God despises our sin. Like I wish we as the church, I realize that we're all striving, we're all growing. I, I get all that. There's loads of mercy and loads of grace. But I just wish for a moment that we would understand that God, God doesn't wink at our sin. He doesn't say it's okay, but He actually hates it. Yeah. Right? And thirdly here, man, these verses show us how our sins affect more people than we think. Right. Like did, did Achan ever think if I go take these things and I hide them in my tent, did he ever think that, man, God's anger is going to burn for the, everyone, not just me? And my point is this, is so often, man, people sin and they think it doesn't affect anyone else, but the reality is it affects their families first, right? And then if we actually take the scripture and we go, man, God, are you really saying this? Then maybe we should stop and go, does our sin actually even affect our church if this is our family? Like it's bigger than us, right? There's a heavier responsibility on us than what we would like to admit. And the next thing is here is simply this, is that, is that uh, base number four, these verses show us that how hidden sin can actually hinder us from defeating the enemy in our lives. Like, man, why am I not walking to victory? Once again, maybe it's because of that. These verses all show us number five is that this, is God is willing to reveal our sin to us if we'll just listen to Him. Did you see how ready God was willing to speak to Joshua when he fell on his face and went, God, there's a problem. You've got to show me what it is. Yeah. He showed him. And then the next one is this, is that God's willingness to give us mercy if we will repent. Like when I read the scripture, some people probably look at it and go, man, that's really hard. But no, 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 no. Look, you can find the love and the grace of God all in it. Because as soon as they repented, if you will, guess what? God didn't hold that against them. He said, okay, it's time to move on. Let's go. Right? And ne next thing is there is if these verses actually show us that. Guess what? That God is willing or God's willingness to move on our behalf when we live pure and consecrated lives. Like once again, did you see the great wonders He did for them as long as their lives were pure? And I believe the same will go for us. Right? And lastly, these verses remind us of the biblical pattern that we talked about last week, which this is how consecration always precedes forward movement in the kingdom. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I want to go further in God, then I'm telling you it'll probably require some consecration on your part. Now, I, probably the reason that consecration always proceeds forward moving the kingdom is because the fact that in our human nature we tend to lack consistency when it comes to our relationship with God. Right? It's like Israel, what we do is we get on fire for the Lord, right? We get some victories under our belt. We, you know, we accomplish some really great things. We get confident, sometimes maybe a little cocky, a little arrogant. And so what we do is we take our foot off the gas. And when we take our foot off the gas with Jesus, we begin to compromise here and there a little bit. And then what happens is, is sooner or later, guess what? We're defeated. A crisis comes. We fall on our face. And, and it's there that so often we uh, fall apart. Right? And we go cry and want to blame God for things. We've got things all, all now twisted in our head. God's trying to get all these things, right, like Joshua did. But the truth is, is he's like, hey, I'm willing to meet you there. And I'm willing to show you where you went wrong. And I'm willing to help you if you're willing to repent to get back on track so we can do the things that I've called you to do. So how many of you guys know that it's true that a lot of times we lack that consistency? Yeah. Yes? All right, so now, now why am I bringing all of this up to you today? Because I simply want to remind all of us two things. The first one is this, is that how much God values a consecrated life. Like God values this. In fact, I'm trying my best to try to get you to see that God takes this serious. And because He takes it serious, maybe we should too. 
right? And secondly here, it's because I want to remind you that I actually believe, once again, I may be a thousand miles off, but, but I really believe in my heart that this is where God currently has us as a church family. So it's like I said last week, I believe that God is actually calling us into a, a season, a moment to evaluate our lives, evaluate our hearts, and not just evaluate, but actually consecrate it. In fact, I think so much that God has some great things that He wants to do. He wants to come and do some great wonders among us, you know, as a church family. But, but guess what? Those wonders will hinge largely upon our willingness and our ability to walk through the door of transformation that, he's, that He has opened for us at the moment. In other words, there's a grace in the air if we're willing to respond. Amen? Amen. Now, let me kind of add one other verse to this, kind of help solidify this. You know, I, I've been, I don't know, I've been in ministry over 20 years now, and I cannot tell you how many people, obviously I was a youth pastor for a long time, college and career pastor, and, and so that kind of came with the nature of, of those audiences, but, but I can't tell you how many times over the years I've had somebody come to me and say, hey PQ, how do I know what God's will is for my life? Like such a huge question, right? Like what is God's will for my life? And I think sometimes uh, in our heads we make that more difficult than it needs to be. But, but let me give you the starting point, okay? It's the starting point of how you discover the will of God for your life. It is this. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify or consecrate you completely. Not partially, completely. And may your whole spirit, that's part of you that got born again, right? Soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions. And your body be preserved, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What am I trying to say? It is God's will for you to live a consecrated life. Because why? Because it's God's will that you become more like Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's shift gears here for a bit. Uh, for you guys that know me in the room, you know I'm a pretty inquisitive person. In fact, I, I love asking questions, and, and I like being asked questions. So much so that if you've ever been in a mentoring or a discipleship moment you know, with me, you've probably heard me say more than once that good questions get good answers. Yeah. That good questions get good answers. And, and that's something that I personally have tried to live by and I've tried to encourage other people. So listen, as you can expect, several weeks ago when the Holy Spirit began to come and tug on my heart, uh, about this being a time of consecration, not just for me, but for all of us here, uh, knowing that that's not a word that we use that often in our society, right? Like you never turn on the TV and hear something about consecration, right? In fact, it's typically the opposite, right? But, so, so my natural response was simply to go to God in prayer and say, God, what does consecration look like to you? Like, I, I have some things in my head. I've studied a whole lot, but Lord, what does consecration look like for you? Because at the end of the day, if God has a target for us, I want to shoot at that target. Like, I don't want to be found that I'm aiming over here when He wants me to go there. Right? And so, so listen, today I want to give you one little small piece of something that He showed me. And uh, in doing so, I just kind of get the ball rolling. I'm going to kind of set it up by asking you a pretty easy question. Uh, how many of you guys know that sometimes it's easier uh, to learn what something is by first seeing what it is not? Right? And, and so what I wanted to do today is I want to show you really what consecration is not so we can get a picture of what it really is. So please watch this video. Emma, these past seven months have been incredible. And I mean, honestly... When I saw you seven months ago, I knew, I knew from that moment that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with you. You're kind, beautiful, smart. I, 
I can't picture a more perfect woman. So, Emma Lily Thompson. Will you marry me? Yes, 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 yes. 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 I have to see other guys on the side, but yes. Wait, what? Uh, what are the guys? What, what are you talking about? I'm the perfect woman. Just like you said, I'm going to have gourmet meals for us every single night. Our house is going to be perfect. Oh, it's going to be amazing, babe. And I mean, you don't really expect me to be a one-man and a woman anyway. Uh, no, that's actually like a, a, a big part of marriage. Like, you and me. Together. Yeah, but I can't give up every guy. I mean, that's asking a little much, don't you think? A, a little... A little... I just asked you to marry me. If we're married, you can't see anyone else. That, that no, that that's Babe, not, wait. Okay, I'm, okay I'm shh. It's okay. Listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. You're right. I was wrong. Thank I you. totally understand where you're coming from. This is our moment, and we're gonna be so happy together every single day, except once a week. Well, uh, once a week. Okay. What, just no. a fling. Once a did week. You, did you not listen to anything every other I just year? said? No. On a leap year? No. Okay, Emma, I, I, I can't. I, I can't. Once a week on a leap year, and you're gonna freak out? Emma, we're, we're done. What? Babe, you were just asking me to marry you. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Really? So obviously that video is intended to have a little bit of humor in it, correct? Uh, but, but listen, I, I just want to ask you to, today, man, how many of you in this room would actually marry someone like that? Like, not a chance, right? So, so here's the interesting part. When I begin to pray and I begin to ask God, God, what does consecration look like to you? Uh, uh, actually, immediately what I saw was the last young couple that I officiated their wedding. Immediately, they came to my mind. They're sitting right back there. Immediately, when I said, Lord, what does it look like I saw them? I saw Yuri standing here, and I saw Courtney standing here, and, and God began to basically show me that, you know, Yuri didn't come with, you know, three other girls in tow with him. Like, Courtney didn't come with five dudes in tow with her, right? The, the bottom line is why? It's because that's not what a marriage is about. Are y'all hearing me today? See, marriage is about a man and a woman, right, committing or consecrating themselves to one another. So, so it's like at the end of the day, you know, apart from what she said, man, a man should expect a bride to be a one-man kind of woman yeah. and vice versa, right? In other words, there's this part when, when there's a man and a woman, it doesn't really matter necessarily what happened in the past. What matters is, is now, how are you committing yourselves to one another? It's no different than when we came to Jesus. I had a past. Right. I had other lovers in the past, but there came a time when I came to an altar with God and I said, you know what, God, I'm committing. I'm giving you everything. Am I making sense to you today? It's like, man, at the end of the day, that is what marriage vows. And that's what a covenant is all about. It's where we give our hearts completely to one person. And by doing so, we forsake all others. Likewise with Jesus. Yes. Amen. Amen. So, so listen, the next question has to be this. If, if you and I can sit here today and be so certain I would never marry someone like that, then, then my question is this, is, is why do we expect God to? Right. Right, like so often what we do, we say, I'll never lower my standards, but yet we want God to lower His standards for us. Hello. Preach, preacher. Right? So, so listen, so, you see, sometimes I think we forget that 
Not only does our Bible tell us that we are the bride of Christ and that Jesus is our bridegroom, but it also tells us this in Exodus 34, 14, and we can't forget this. He said, you must worship no other gods for the Lord whose very name is jealous. Get that, that God is so jealous over you that he even named himself that. Right? He's jealous, right? It says this, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about His relationship with you. Can we make that personal today, right? Like He's jealous about me, right? So listen, if this is true, then why do we, me included, keep telling ourselves, it's okay, He'll understand. Right? He'll understand when we give people and things and our hobbies and even ourselves more love and affection and attention than we give to Him. Like at the end of the day, I'll say it this way for you married people. If, if, if you ran off and you gave some other man or some other woman way more attention than you were giving your husband or giving your wife, how well would that work out? It, it wouldn't work out well at all. Right? And so I just think this, if we can see for a moment that I hear I said it this way. So often we come to church and you know we, we sing lyrics to songs and the song that kind of came to my mind when I was when I was writing this was what a beautiful name like what an incredible song right and there's this part where it kind of builds and we sing and when we sing it here I love it because everybody kind of hops in and it says he has no rival he has no equal but listen it's a, it's a one thing to sing that but it's a whole nother ball game that we would actually begin to live like he has no rival and he has no equal. Do you understand that even the word jealous means in the Hebrew language, no rival? Right? So listen, so with that in mind, I just think this, if we're going to really get down in our hearts today, what it really means to live a consecrated life before the Lord, that, that we need to check the box. We need to get it concrete inside of us that guess what? That God, Jesus, He is not okay with playing second fiddle to anything or anyone in our lives. Right? Listen to these verses. Deuteronomy 32, 16. I'm going to give you a handful pretty quick. It says, They provoked him to jealousy. In other words, they stirred up his jealousy with strange gods. How did they do this? By denying him the honor and loyalty that is rightfully and uniquely his. By denying him the honor and loyalty that is rightfully and uniquely his. So what's the honor and the loyalty that's due to him? It actually comes back to what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Here's the loyalty that's for him. It says, you must love the Lord your God with all, right? With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now, now why should we love Jesus in that way? It's really simple because the Bible says in Colossians 1, 18, it says, he is also head of the body, the church. That's us, right? It says, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place or preeminence in everything. Get that, in everything, not just Sunday, in everything, in every day of the week, in every area of our lives. Now, now listen, this might sound strong, but man, I really want you to, to see today how God views it when we don't put Him first place. Because in reality, it's no different than, than if we're married and our spouse starts putting someone else first place over us. Look what it says in James 4, 5. It says, you're cheating on God. <laughs> like, that's strong words, right? But God's like, man, you're cheating on me. How? It says, if all you want is your own way, Flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in His ways. Watch this. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that He's a fiercely jealous lover. 
I love that. He's a fiercely jealous lover. And so I just think, man, when you actually begin to read those portions of Scripture, is God's pretty straightforward in how He wants us to uh, you know, see Him and view Him and have Him in our hearts. He wants to be first place. All right, so listen, before we move, let me, let me throw another thought here, okay? If you're sitting here today just by chance, you're having a hard time wrapping your head and your heart around this idea of God being a fierce, jealous lover towards you, okay, towards you, I simply want to encourage you that you don't need to look any further than the cross. Right? Because, man, it's there. And I'd say that it's there that has there ever been an act of fierce, of jealous love on display as it was on Calvary's cross? Like, has there ever been one? You know, it was there where Jesus abandoned his divine rights, right? And so that he would have, what, the opportunity to lay down his life so that he could win back your heart, win back your life, win back your affection and your devotion back to himself. So if that's not a fierce and a jealous love, then I really don't know what it is. And I would just kind of encourage you today, as he's abandoned it all for you, why don't you go ahead and abandon it all for him? Yeah. Amen? Amen? All right, so let's shift gears here one more time. Because I want to insert another thought to when it comes to being consecrated to the Lord. Now, th this might sound strong, but, but I honestly believe, you know, once again, I've been in this game for a while now. And I think sometimes as Christians, we get disillusioned with ourselves a bit. In other words, we, we, we give ourselves a little bit more credit than maybe what we should. Right? With our self-deception that's going on. And let me explain what I mean by this. Is I think sometimes... We sit back and we pat ourselves on the back because we aren't as bad as we used to be, right? We think we deserve an attaboy, right, for living a cleaner life than most. We attend church on a regular basis. Occasionally we sing a song, you know, sing along if we like the tune, right? And we'll serve here and there for us. Uh, you know, we even read our Bible a few times a month. We, you know, do the holy spiritual thing. We pray over our meals before we eat. And, and so in, all in all, man, we get pretty comfortable. And, uh, you know, while there's no need really to go the extra mile, there's no need really to get caught up in all that radical stuff because we're just good, right? And, and I want to say while that may sound really safe and it might sound nice and dandy, the, the, the thing that I have to ask you today is this, is if that's you, man, where is our passion like, where's our passion? You see, if we don't have a passion for Jesus, we're really no better than one of those married couples that think they're doing great because they have a house to live in, right? Cars to drive and enough money to pay their bills on time. You know, it's like, awesome, he takes out the trash and she cooks dinner, yay, right? They chat occasionally, but man, they have long forgotten the days when the relationship was alive and it had fervor, right? It had emotion and it had intimacy in it. It's like back in the day, hours used to seem like minutes when they would talk, and now it seems like minutes are like hours. It's like everything used to pale in importance when they were together. Now it seems like just an obligation, a chore when they got to walk past each other in the hall, Right? So listen, they, they once lived to please one another. Now, uh, you, you know, what used to be, uh, you know, just not, it wasn't too trivial, right? They were eager to just convey their love to one another. So if once they can't do this, sure, they would love to serve one another. You know, back then their passion was pure, their priorities were right. But now, man, they just somehow kind of lost the fire. Have you ever seen one of those couples? Right, it's like they no longer, they're no longer as in love as they once were, right? They didn't mean for things to go this way. Life just kind of happened. They've gotten distracted and consumed with other things. And because they've lost interest, right, in each other, they've lost their passion. But to them, watch this, here's the key part. To those kind of people, everything, if you ask them, how are you doing? They go, eh, it's fine. So the question I want to ask on this beautiful Valentine's Day 
In light of what I'm sharing with you today, man, I have to ask you, when it comes to your personal relationship with Jesus, are you enjoying the kind of relationship that your fierce, jealous lover died for the two of you to have? Or are things just fine between the two of you? Like, man, that's a, that's a reality check, right? We get so comfortable. And so if you're sitting here today and you're enjoying one of those incredible, vibrant, passionate walks with the Lord, I want you to know, man, I celebrate with you today. I, I'm like one of those guys in the grandstand that's just cheering you on, like, go get it, dude. Go get it, gal, right? Love being around those kind of people. But, but if you're here today and things are just fine, uh, then let me encourage you to heed the words that Jesus said to the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And I want you to understand that he came along and, and he pat on the back and he said, you're doing a great job here and here and there. You know, you've worked really hard. You do a great job telling people what's true. You've learned your Bible. You, you know, you got doctrine down. You, you've recognized, uh, you know, uh, what a false apostle is and a true apostle is. So all that's great. You're doing good. But then it comes to verse 4 and he says this, but I have this against you. He says, you have abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. See, if you read another translation, it's this. It says this, you have left your first love. The word first there actually means number one in importance. And then he says this, man, if, if that's you, man, if you, have, if you have abandoned the passionate love that you had for me at the beginning, then verse 5, you need to think about how far you've fallen. You need to repent. You need to change your mind. You change your thought process. You need to change your life, right? And do the works of love that you did at first. In other words, here's the bridegroom, Jesus. He's imploring his bride, the church, to do what? He's saying, you need to stir your passion up for me again. I remember when we used to get together and what seemed like, you know, uh, basically, uh, you know, minutes was hours. I remember when our love was intimate, when it was fiery, when it was passion, when there was depth to it. I remember when all you wanted to do was please me. And now he is, he's here and saying, where has that love gone? Like, what, who, who distracted you? What other lovers do you have in your life? Well, I used to have your heart and I don't have it anymore. And he's sitting there saying this, man, would you please stir your passion back up for me? Right? And I just think today, man, if that's us, and I'm telling you, somebody in here today, that's us, right? That, that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and breathe the coals, right? Breathe on the coals of our heart again and ask that that first love kind of fire would burn in our hearts for Jesus again. Yeah. Amen? Listen, I don't know if, if today, if you need to have a moment here or if you need to go home, all I'm saying is, as your pastor, I'm encouraging you that you need to find a spot and you need to cry out to God and you need to ask Him to give you, once again, a first love that transcends all other affections. Like all the things that got you distracted, that got your heart, all the things that you wake up with in the morning and you can't wait to go do that, it needs to be Jesus. Right? Like, I can't wait to get with Jesus today. Am I making sense? Does you need to cry and begin what? That a first love that surpasses the love of things. Right? A first love that's full of intensity once again. There's quality. It's not just some quick pop prayer to heaven. No, I want a quality relationship with Him. And I want there to be purity in my heart. See, it's a first kind of love that desires nothing more once again than to please Him. It's a first love that is distraction free. Like, God, please give us that. So, listen, there, there's... There's no doubt that there's some of us in this room that need to do this. We need to reclaim what we've lost, right? And I would just simply say this. A lot of times when it comes to 
the point where we understand, man, I'm not where I once was. Like I remember one time being a young man, right, like, like burning for the Lord. I actually went and got my first pastor position that I ever had. And then I, then I basically came back and visited the church I was at before. And I recognized that transition, man, I lost something. And all my knowledge and all my preaching and all my ministry of having all these answers, I've lost my connection with him. Right. And I remember coming to an altar basically right here. And I still remember the guy that met me there. And I laid on the ground and I cried and I cried and I cried. And all I could say was, Nick, I've lost my fire. <laughs> I left my first love. Am I making sense to you guys? Yeah. And so, listen, the, you know, I think sometimes, once again, we can make that the, the reconnection may be more spiritual, harder than it needs to be. But I'm going to tell you where I've learned where it's at. There's a simple prayer of consecration unto the Lord. Okay, and everybody's is probably different. Uh, you know, this is where I've learned to reconnect my heart and my life to God. I simply start my prayer times consistently over 20 something years of just saying, you know, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you today. God, I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I give you my soul. I give you my spirit. There's days I say, God, my eyes are yours. My ears are yours. My heart's yours, right? God, all that I am and all that I have, it's yours. I give you every dream, every desire, every aspiration, every goal that I have. God, today what I'm saying is I consecrate my life to you. God, you said in your word that Jesus shed his blood and he purchased me with a price by that blood. And so my life is not my own, so I give it to you today. Use me however you want. Speak to me, whatever you want to say. God, is there anything I need to repent of? Is there anything that I need to get right with you today? And I just set my course. God, I'm yours. Right? Why? Because he is my God and I'm his people. Am yes. I making sense to you? So, so listen, there's times where, guess what? He shows things and then it really boils down to this. Let me give you a verse. Please make this personal to you today. It says in James 4, 7 through 10. It says, so humble or submit or surrender yourselves before God. If I can pause there for a minute, I'm not asking how good you are. I'm asking how surrendered are you, <laughs> right? It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he'll come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify or consecrate your hearts for your loyalty or your love is divided between God and the world. There's other lovers. You're at the altar with me and you have other guys. You have other girls, right? It says this, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. In other words, have a heart of repentance. This is humble yourselves before the Lord. Guess what? And he will lift you up in honor. Yeah. Why? Because once again, if you consecrate yourselves, he will come and do great wonders. Yeah. Amen. Let me give you a last verse because if we can live a consecrated life, I'm going to show you what the Lord will do for you. It's just a snapshot here of what's all in the Bible, really. But 2 Chronicles 16.9 says this, and we'll be done. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, so that He may support or strengthen those whose heart is completely His. Man, listen, I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to be found where my heart is not completely His. So today, I'm just going to ask you, can you close your eyes, please? Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just simply pray into what we just heard. Father, we believe that you're talking to us as a church right now. And so, Lord, we just simply come and we lay ourselves before you. 
And we just ask, God, that if there's anything that's in us, God, once again, that, that's making our hands dirty and making our hearts impure, that you would show us. And God, we simply say we repent. God, would you come and breathe on the coals of our heart, God, and burn, God, once again with a fire from heaven inside of us. And Lord, we just simply just take a moment. Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. Increase your presence in this room. And we ask that as we pray, it just in our own words, a prayer of consecration, that you'll meet us exactly where we're at today and that you'll minister to us and there'll be a divine connection with you. It's in your name we pray. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.